Thanks, Tim. Awesome time. I love hearing um, the people of God just uh, get together and sing songs like that, songs of hope. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Are you in the spirit? Okay. Um, it's December 22nd. We are three short days away from Christmas, right? How many, how many can't wait for Christmas to get here? How many can't wait for it to be over? Bah humbug, right? Yeah, all across the world, people are finalizing, they're decorating, and they're uh, sh shopping, and they're gift, gift wrapping, and there's some people, I know none of you in this room, that are actually starting their decorating. Yes, this guy is driving around today and tomorrow with a Christmas tree on his car, just starting his decorating. Either his kids finally talked him into getting the tree, or he's just a cheapskate and wanted to wait till they get go 50% off, right? But I know no one in here is actually starting decorating, right? Amidst all the commercial and cultural decor and the spirit of Christmas in the yards of many of our neighbors, we see this. We see nativity scenes, right? And all of their glowing plastic glory. A hundred watt bulbs glowing all night long, parentheses, please buy a timer next year. The baby Jesus in a manger and Mary and Joseph looking on his proud parents, all the animals looking serene. And there's a shepherd boy somewhere with a sheep, maybe on his shoulder. And somewhere amidst the gathering are three tall guys with crowns on, kind of making the whole scene, well, theologically incorrect. But we're going to put that aside today. Many of us have nativities ourselves, right? Either in your yard or in your house. How many have nativity scenes in your house? Yeah, we have one too. This is our nativity that sits right by our, our front door. Every year it gets set up and uh, the kings move around a little bit. But I mean, it pretty much it stays the same. And what we often fail to realize is is that what we're setting up, what our neighbors are displaying, is, um, is really one of the most scandalous stories in Scripture. It really is. It's tension-filled. It's like a really good lifetime Christmas movie with hidden family drama and a plot line that's going to catch everyone by surprise. And notice I didn't say Hallmark Christmas movie. Hallmark Christmas movies are all ooey-gooey sweet, right? But those of you that watch Lifetime movies, not me, Lifetime movies are kind of more real life, you know? They, they feel raw a little bit, and they feel a little more real. And so I would suggest that this nativity and the story behind it depicts more of a Lifetime Christmas movie than a Hallmark Christmas movie. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Because you see, when we set up Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus... We set it up like it goes on the cover of Family Living magazine. But what really is taking place is anything but the perfect family story. It has intrigue, some possible distrust, maybe some relational breakdown. And as I heard one pastor in town say about this story, it's really, really complicated. And he's right. Aren't you glad you came this morning? 
I'm not trying to ruin your Christmas. I'm not trying to destroy family memories, but I want us to step behind closed doors, and I want us to live out this event a little bit with Mary and Joseph, not to ruin traditions, not to question our theology, but maybe more importantly, we get to see a God who is with us when we face tremendous tensions and drama in our life, a God that comes in the weakest of forms when we face the hardest of times. And Jesus writes this storyline of God's presence from the very beginning. He's present with a teenage couple in a life situation that could destroy their future, their reputation, and even their own relationship. And I don't know if you realize this, but they were probably a relationship in crisis, seemingly without hope, facing public disgrace and ridicule, even potentially death. That is, until hope comes in the form of a baby. So let's walk through this account of how the birth of Jesus comes about, as Matthew puts it. And you'll see pretty quickly the drama that's unfolding. But first, I want you to see where we are in the storyline. Now, we're all pretty aware, probably, of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. That's typically the Christmas story that is read. But I want, we're going to be in Matthew this morning, but I want to show you where we are in the timeline because it's pretty interesting. We're actually going to take a deep dive into a spot in between two lines in Luke chapter 2. Let me show you what I mean. Luke 2, starting at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken to the entire, of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married, and that's an italics on purpose, to him and was expecting a child. And then we're going to insert our passage today here. While they were there, Luke goes on, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, if I were going to do a Lifetime Christmas movie of this event, this would be the opening scene. I'd start with Joseph and Mary on this dusty road to Bethlehem, and Joseph looking frustrated because he has his pledged to be married to with him, kind of like a fiance, but more than that, but not quite married, but she is with child. Wow, not married, but with child. And they're traveling to Bethlehem. So pretend you don't know the, the end of this story. You're a family friend, or you're someone just seeing them, and you can see that it might raise a few eyebrows just with that. Now, we know from Luke chapter 1 that Mary was visited by an angel, and so she does know why she is pregnant, and it's by the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to suggest to you today that Joseph doesn't know how she got pregnant at this point, and we're going to see that. 
And we're going to see that Joseph is planning to quietly put Mary away through a divorce. Now, there are a couple of interpretations out there, and I want to give a nod to both because we're going to talk about one. One is typically called the suspicion theory, and that's where we're going to uh, be this morning. And one is called the humility theory, one that follows that I'll present to you today. And then the other says that Joseph did know that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit and basically didn't want to be in the presence of Mary because she was so holy. This typically comes out of Catholic or liturgical traditions. Now, I have a lot of reasons to follow the suspicion theory, and I'll point out a couple this morning, and we're not going to go through those in depth this morning, but I'll gladly uh, grab a cup of coffee with you if you want to talk about this more. I know a pretty good coffee shop we can meet at. <laughs> the name of it is Third Space Coffee, by the way. I suggest to you this morning that Joseph basically thinks at this point that Mary has committed adultery. And so he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. In the meantime, he has to answer this call to the census. And so they leave for Bethlehem. And so my opening scene of my movie would be them on this road and Joseph wanting to do the right thing but being incredibly frustrated and feeling caught in the middle of a hopeless situation. So let's jump over to our text for today in between those two sentences in Luke, and I can show you what I mean by this. So Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. Matthew writes, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Again, the same thing that Luke said. But before they came together, and I don't have to explain this or do a word study, right? She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now let's pause here a minute and let's explore just a little bit of context. You always want to read Scripture from context. You want to think, who were the people that were reading this at that time? Now in Jewish culture, or we, we see in there that it says Joseph was pledged to be married, but it also says that he had in mind to divorce her. So the question for us in our culture, why would that be if they weren't married yet? Because in Jewish culture at that time, a pledge was more than an engagement, but it was less than a legal marriage. It lasted for one year, and in the community's eyes, they were kind of already married, but they didn't live together. They hadn't had any physical relations. They were as good as married, but not finally married. And it had not been consummated or celebrated yet. And so the only way to get out of a pledge of marriage was to go through the same process of divorce that you would if you had finalized a marriage. And this would have been permissible in this case. Because obviously to Joseph, she had been unfaithful. Now this is one of the big reasons that I follow the interpretation I do in this. Because he has no grounds for divorce in the other. 
And so if she had been unfaithful and adulterous, he would have grounds to divorce her quietly. In fact, Joseph, being a man faithful to the law, as Matthew puts it, puts it could have actually called for Mary's death. In Deuteronomy 22:22, 22, which was in the Torah, it said, If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. Now, the truth is, by this time, this law wasn't really carried out as a civil, as a civil law. And they followed Roman law, or they were under Roman law, and weren't able to live out the full extent of Mosaic civil law anyway. But Joseph, being a good guy, doesn't want to put Mary through public ridicule or death. No, he wants to spare her the pain. And so he's going to put her on her own with her child quietly. But then Matthew lets us in on something that happens. He writes this, but after he had considered this divorce, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now you see right there, he didn't know the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit before. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So let's replay the storyline a little bit from, from Joseph's point of view again. Mary gets pregnant, seemingly not by Joseph, out of wedlock, but they're already pledged together. They travel away from their families, pledged in marriage, which was a no-no in itself, to Bethlehem, and all the time Joseph is figuring out how to divorce her quietly because she's pregnant. Now, while in Bethlehem, Joseph has a dream and an angel tells him what's going on to marry her. And so he changes his mind. He's a devout man of God. And so he takes this dream as God's voice. He marries her, probably in Bethlehem, which was out of the ordinary because marriages were supposed to last a week long with both families coming together. And this couldn't have happened in this situation. So it probably looked more like eloping. And just when you thought that was enough relational tension and drama, Mary, if you think about it, was probably showing by now. And so the people in Bethlehem, a really small town, probably see a woman who's already showing marrying a man that she's pledged to. And so this raises questions. And we can only speculate about the probable arguments between Joseph and Mary about why she's pregnant. She knows what's going on, but obviously hasn't shared that with Joseph. Joseph is probably frustrated during the whole situation. 
you know, three to eight months, who knows? They're facing public disgrace. Mary is facing the potential of being an unwed mother. They're supposed to be having a one-year pledge period with their families, but now they're in Bethlehem, and all this stuff happens away from home. And you thought your family had holiday drama. So what can this storyline say to us today? I mean, what does this messiness of these two kids trying to navigate this chaos, what in the world could it tell us? Well, maybe this. I mean, haven't we all been in situations where circumstances in life, whether by our own making or someone else's or just by chance, it feels like it's going to sink us? Have you ever felt like you're in a hole so deep that you dug, someone else dug, or it just happens, and it just feels like you can't get out? Have you ever hurt so much you thought your heart just couldn't take it? I have. I think a lot of us have. And I think that's likely where Mary and Joseph were during a lot of this. Their future before the angel comes in a dream to Joseph, questionable. Their marriage, questionable. Their relationship, possibly intention. I think it probably was. All their dreams and excitement of the future of being pledged and being married, disappearing because of circumstances. But you know what? God showed up. Not only did God show up, he actually purposely used this tension-filled situation to make a point that even in the mess, he wants to be with us. Now think about this. We come to church all the time. We, we chase after God. We pray and we plead for him to be involved in our plans and our circumstances, that he would come to our aid, that we can hear his voice. It's like we're always looking for him and searching for him, this tangibleness of God. And I'd suggest to you that maybe what this story tells us is two things. One Life is going to be hard. It's going to be messy. It may not even fit within religious rules or expectations at times. But maybe God is saying this. You don't need to chase me. You don't need to plead. I'll find you. I want to be with you. Matthew quotes Isaiah 7.14, which we heard this morning, in this storyline to make this point that we need to remember. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then Matthew tells us what Emmanuel means, God with us. And so in the midst of this embarrassing and seemingly life-ending situation, God is with Joseph and Mary. He found them. He chose this family. 
They were never alone. And you know what? In the midst of your hardest situations in life, you're not alone either. Yes, in the midst of mountaintop experiences and celebrations, God is with you. But in the midst of experiencing great loss, God is with you. In the midst of losing hope, God is with you. In the midst of not knowing what will happen next, maybe like Joseph, God is with you. In the midst of feeling alone, you're not. God is with you. In the midst of your doubts, if God is really there or really exists or hears your plea, God is with you. He is with me. He is with all of us. And so, when you go home today, and you see your nativity scene, please don't remember this message and dismantle it. Or take the kings away and move them across the room because they're not there yet. That's, that's not what I mean to do. But perhaps we can look at a nativity scene from now on with a different lens. We can see something different in the story. The apparent peacefulness of that nativity is actually Joseph and Mary's realization that no matter the circumstances, no matter the hopelessness, no matter the embarrassment, no matter the loss of reputation, no matter the loneliness, no matter what, God is with you. No matter how messy or reckless life seems at times, there's a God that chases us relentlessly in what seems like reckless intent, and that is to be with us. And that is what this season is all about. In a life that sometimes seems like God is absent, actually, God has come. And his name is Emmanuel, God with us. So in closing, I want to ask you to speculate with me. I want you to pretend that we're doing this Lifetime Christmas movie. And this opening scene of Joseph and Mary walking this dusty road. Now here's what we know. We know that Joseph is a man that knows the law and loves God. Matthew tells us that. We also know he's going to Bethlehem because he's a descendant of David. Now, I want to suggest that Joseph probably knows a lot of Scripture by memory. I mean, they had scrolls, but people didn't carry Bibles, and they didn't carry a lot of scrolls with them. A lot of it was still oral tradition that they would talk about and pass down. And so, Joseph probably knows a lot of the Scriptures of the Torah, and he probably knows a lot of David's Psalms, even, being from the line of David. So just maybe in all of this tension that he's going through, he searches the scriptures for some comfort. Because don't we do that a lot of the time? He cries out to God for help. And so maybe this is what Joseph thinks or recites or remembers on the road to Bethlehem. So let me read this, Psalm 23. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, I want you to consider that maybe if you are going through a dusty road experience right now, maybe you feel like you're on that road to Bethlehem, metaphorically. There's something in your life, in your journey, in your story that feels like tension, feels unresolved. You're asking where God is. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want us to read this psalm again. But I want us to read it together. And read it in expectation of a God that sees us, that knows us, and is our shepherd, and wants to be with us. And so let's read this aloud together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell 